Exodus chapter 33. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for your word. And what a, what a joy it is to gather together with your people in this place. Lord, for many of us, our, our, our loved ones are here. The, our greatest friends in the world are here. And it is a, it's a joy to come and see each other and, and worship you together. And Lord, everything in our services points to this point right here, where we focus on your word and we exalt you. We glorify you by exalting your word. Father, please allow your word to speak to us today. This is such a powerful text of scripture. So, Father, I pray that this will be more than a religious exercise for us, but that we'll leave here different because of the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, uh, I had gone to school in Tennessee, and there was a pastor, a local pastor in Knoxville, and he came to our school, and he preached a sermon called The Greatest Moment in Moses' Life. The Greatest Moment in Moses' Life. And... It's one of those things, and I think all of us at some point in our lives, we, we see a truth in Scripture or a preacher points something out to us in Scripture, and it starts to define things for us in our lives, some of these great ideas and great truths. This is one of those for me. And so I wanted to take some time. Remember, we're calling these our launch sermons as we get ready for the grand opening. So in, in our church, we do have guests, so thank, I'm so glad that you, that you guests are here but these sermons, they're, they're really for us right now to help us to remember what kind of church we're going to be as we launch the grand opening and as we move ahead. And I've said this to several of our guests that have come through. This is the perfect time for you to come, so you'll really get to see who we are. And this, this what I want to preach to you this morning, and I will, I'll steal, I'm trying to remember his name. I'll, I'm going to steal that pastor's title, The Greatest Moment in Moses' Life. And we're going to look through this passage of Scripture this morning. And I hope that you all will really stay plugged in, really have a, have a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one with you, look under the chair in front of you. There's a Bible there. Have your Bible open, and let's look at this passage. And let's see what's, what's happening in this, the greatest moment in Moses' life. And so I want you to see, look at Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. I want you to see what God offered to Moses, what God offered to him. So look at verse 1, and the Lord said unto Moses, depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying unto thy seed will I give it, and I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now look up here with me for a minute. I want you to see the things that God was offering to Moses, what God was going to do for Moses and for the children of Israel. The first thing, he was going to give them the land and he was going to give them freedom. See, the idea of driving out these other people, of driving them out, they're free. They don't have to worry about enemies. They can live freely in the land. That's what God was going to do for them. Now, I hope you all recognize how many people want to be free. The people that are trying to get into the United States, what is it? We're the only country you have to build a wall to keep people out. These other nations have to build walls to keep people in. We're, we're a place that people want to be here because we have freedom. And we might talk about that again in a minute. 
But look at what it says here in our text. He was going to give them, he was going to lead them into the land in verse 1. And then notice what he says in verse 2, and I will send an angel. He was going to give them divine leadership and divine protection. Now, I don't know about you guys, that's what I want. I want divine leadership and I want divine protection in my life. Are you all with me on that? And this is what we need as a church. We want freedom to be able to worship. We want God to have what he would have us to to have here in this place. We want freedom to worship, but we want divine guidance and divine protection. And then look at what it says in verse 2, middle of verse 2. And I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hivite and the Perizzite. What, what is it, the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite? All these, all these termites and all these other things. I want God to remove the obstacles from my life. Are you all with me on that? You ever look at stuff and say, this is so hard. Sometimes it seems like every discussion you have is difficult. And everything that you're trying to do for your family or in your career or for the Lord, every step is hard. Man, I want God to remove all those obstacles. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? That's what God's going to do for Israel. He's going to take all that away. Then then look at what he's going to do. It says... uh, In verse 3, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, he's going to give them prosperity. Again, remember, a good portion of the globe doesn't know where they're going to get their next meal. And so God was telling Israel, I'm going to make sure that you're going to go into a land that flows with milk and honey. You're going to have food. Your crops are going to grow. I'm going to send divine protection. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to do everything for you. Now, how many of you, that, that sounds like a pretty good deal. You know that God has done all of that for us? I want you to think about something. We have a great place to worship, right? This building is wonderful. Sydney's a wonderful place to live. We have a great opportunity to live freely in this place. God has given us freedom. He's given us amazing prosperity. We're the richest people in the world. The, the rest of the globe would love to have the, the standard of living that we have. Are you all with me on that? Let's not be unthankful. <laughs> you know, we've really, we've really got it made. Uh, you know, I've said this often. Dinesh D'Souza had a friend who had been trying. He's from India. He was trying to help a friend come from India. And he asked this friend had been trying to come for 14 years. He said, why do you want to come to the United States so badly? And the guy said, I want to live in a country where the poor people are fat. And God is everything that he had offered. He's given us. We have divine leadership from the word of God, don't we? We do. We have freedom. We have prosperity. We have the opportunity to do everything that a believer would want to do. God has already given us all of that. But what did God say he was going to withhold? So he offered them the land and freedom. He offered them an angel. The angel would drive out their enemies. He offered them prosperity. Look at verse 3 again. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people. I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people. What did he withhold? He He was withholding his presence. You know, there are a lot of churches in the United States that have beautiful buildings that have amazing music. They have amazing, amazingly gifted teachers. They have prosperity. There's a lot of money floating around in the church. They have everything. But God's not there. Here, keep your place in Exodus 
Keep your place in Exodus 33. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, look at verse 8. So this is Jesus. He's speaking to the church at Philadelphia. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. You have a little strength. You know what I always think of when, when Jesus says you have a little strength? That's like saying a girl has a good personality. You know what I mean? It's just not much of a compliment. But here's why Jesus is saying that. When we get arrogant, we think we can change God's word. We think that, that we know better than God. You all know that's true, right? I know God says this, but I want to. Or I know the Bible says this, but I think. So look at what it says in verse 8. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. So what has God done? Verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 8, beginning of the verse. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. God set an open door before these people. We want that open door in our community. We want that open door to share the gospel. We want that open door to help people and influence people for Christ. I want an open door with my grown children to make sure that they continue to walk in the Lord. I want that open door from the Lord. I need God with me to do that. Are you all with me on that? I don't have enough wisdom. I need God for that. Now go to verse, so still Revelation 3, look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and will sup with him and him with me. What's going on here now? Jesus had set an open door for the church at Philadelphia to the church at Laodicea. The door's closed and Jesus is outside. He's knocking on the door from outside. There are so many churches. Look at, look at the way that Jesus describes this church. They're prosperous. Verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with good and have need of nothing. This describes the churches that we know of. Some of these churches are on television and they have all kinds of money, all kinds of liberty, all kinds of talent. It seems like there are no obstacles for them. And yet Jesus is not there. God is not there. Now let me qualify this. Is anybody here saved? You're born again. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Jesus Christ, if you're born again, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you are saved. He will. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's fantastic. The Bible says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Every saved person is in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body. Every saved person is in Christ and Christ is right now seated at the right hand of the father and we are in Christ seated with him at the right hand of the father and no one can ever remove you from that place. Praise God. Now somebody ought to get excited about that right there because I don't know about you guys, but I'm not good. I know that I sin constantly. If my sin could separate me from God, I would have been separated from him a long time ago. My sin had separated me from God, but then Jesus saved me. And so now I am in him. I'm talking about as a church, as an organization, Christ is either in this place 
or he's not. And what God told Israel, remember what the Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians, that these, these stories in the Old Testament were written for our learning. And what do we learn? We learn who God is, what pleases God, what makes God angry, and what are the things that we ought to do. So the Bible says that God had offered Israel. They said, this is what we're, I'm going to do for you. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you an angel, divine protection and guidance to take you into the land. That divine protection is not only going to do that, it's going to drive out your obstacles, your enemies. And then I'm going to give you prosperity. But I'm not going. I'm not going. Why was God not going to go? We have to go to chapter 32 to see that. Look at chapter 32 with me. Oh, this is not Revelation chapter 32. This is Exodus chapter 32. Look what the Bible says. And really, I want you to notice, man, I'm not making anything up. We're just going to read the words of the Bible and see what God has for us. Look at verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. So Moses is up on top of Mount Sinai getting the law. God is giving Moses the word of God for his people. It's amazing. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot or we know not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their, their ears, and brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, how many of you think that was probably a mistake? It's an amazing thing. Verse 5. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. I want you to notice a couple of things here. First, verse 7, the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people. Notice they're not God's people anymore. Is that what it says? Wow. Keep your place here. Go back to Revelation 3. I want you to notice something. Revelation 3, look at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, do you see that? The church in Philadelphia, look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, do you see the difference? See, one is God's church in Philadelphia. The church at, the church at Laodicea wasn't God's church. It was the people's church. It was their church. Go back to 
Exodus. You see, these were God's people. Israel, they're God's people. But when they turn away from God, they're no longer following God. Now they're following a man. They're no longer identified with God. They're identified with a man. Folks, this is not Jim Alter's church. How many of you are thankful for that? Stacy invited somebody to church one time. And they said, isn't that where they have that short preacher that thinks he's funny? Man, I'm so glad Jim Alter is in Grace Baptist Church. I am kind of funny, but not that short. All right, so now it's, it's so interesting. I'm so glad that Grace Baptist Church is not Jim Alter. If God took me out of here, Grace Baptist Church would continue. Amen? This is not Jim Alter's church. If somebody says, what church do you go to? I go to Jim Alter's church. Holy cow. No, I go to Grace Baptist Church. Pastor's Jim Alter. For now, we might keep him. We haven't decided. Listen, it's really important that you understand that we, and I know you know that, but I just want to say it from the pulpit. You don't follow the pastor. You follow the Lord. And then the leadership that God gives me, you follow me as I follow Christ. Ultimately, we're following Christ. We're not following each other. Are you with me on that? But they had become Moses' people. They're no longer God's people. I want you to notice nine things God is not going to go with them. The first thing that I want you to see is that Aaron is standing with the people against God. Do you see that? In verse 1, up, make us gods which shall go before us. What should Aaron have done? He should have said no. He was fearful. He was fearful. Now, young people, let me tell you something about leadership. Leadership is doing right even when everyone is against you. You see, there are certain things that we're going to vote on at Grace Baptist Church. There are other things we're not going to vote on. We're not going to vote on whether or not the Bible is the Word of God. Right? We're not going to vote on morality. The Bible gives us morality. We don't vote on that. Are you all with me? And so if, if people came to me and they said, Pastor, we don't think the church should stand against homosexuality anymore. You know that that's happened in the Methodist Church right now. How many of you know that that's what's happened, right? They are forcing the churches to accept homosexuality. That's what's happening in the leadership of the United Methodist Church. What would happen at Grace Baptist Church if I said, we're no longer going to preach against homosexuality? What would happen here? Yeah, I wouldn't be pastor here anymore. Why? Because I don't set the doctrine for Grace Baptist. The Bible does. What would happen if, if we had a large contingent of the church say, Pastor, I no longer want you to preach against female pastors? You understand that could happen, right? The Bible says if a man desire the office of a bishop. The Bible says, says uh, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not the woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. That's a direct statement from 1 Timothy 2, chapter 11. But what if the church says, Pastor, the culture is against... Now, let me qualify this. I feel like I have to. We need ladies in ministry. The, the first person that God have, had to testify of, his, of Jesus Christ's resurrection was a woman. There's certainly God... We need godly ladies in the ministry, but God has chosen to use men as pastors and teachers in the church. There's no, there's no doubt about that. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. But let's say that we have a contingent of people in the church that rise up and say, Pastor, if we're going to grow, we've got to stop having these outdated standards like that. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to say no. The Bible says this. The Bible says this. And if the church chooses to move away from the word of God, then I won't be the pastor. 
but I will not stand up and say something that something that the Bible directly contradicts. I cannot do that. What Moses was doing up on the on the mountain was he was getting the word of God, and at the same time, Aaron, the man that was supposed to be helping him, was surrendering to the will of the people rather than to the will of God. Look, we as a church, we've got to surrender to the will of God, not to popular opinion. Are you all with me on that? Pray for me that I can lead Grace Baptist Church according to the word of God. So the first thing that I want you to see is Aaron is standing with the people against God. If you look at verse 4, it says, And he received them at their hand, that's the, those earrings, and fashioned it with a graving tool. So he took, he took time to create this false god. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation. So he's pretending to be a man of God for a false god. You know, there are a lot of people that stand up and preach about a Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible. See, remember, Erwin Lutzer, I make this quote all the time. If the world loves your Jesus, it's because you've made him into something that he is not. The world would crucify Jesus today. They would crucify him again. Are you all with me on that? They would. And so we love those people and we love our Savior so much that we will stand against the culture for the Lord. Amen? All right, so now, not only that, but Aaron is leading, not only did he submit to the people, but then he begins leading the people against God. There are a lot of really talented people who can lead people in the way they want to go. What did Paul tell us was going to happen in the last days? That people would gather unto themselves teachers having itching ears. They're no longer going to stand for the truth. The teachers are going to listen to the people and teach what the people want. It's interesting. I don't know what you need. I just preach the Bible. And then God deals with you. How many of you, God has ever spoken to you about something that during a service that the preacher wasn't preaching about? Has that ever happened? That's what the preaching of the word of God does. See, I don't know what you need. God does. So my job is just to preach the word. All right? So now, not only that, not only is Aaron leading the people against God, but then God sees all of it. Look at what the Bible says in verse uh, 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou hast brought... Uh, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, they have corrupted themselves. Notice, Aaron didn't corrupt them. They corrupted themselves. The Bible says, if a king harbors lies, his servants are wicked. So what does that mean? That means we are all responsible for the leadership that we have. Let me say it again. We're responsible for the leadership that we have. The founders of our country, this is where they got their ideas. They got their ideas from the local New Testament church and from Moses and the children of Israel. That's where we got our system of government. We are responsible for the leadership that we have. Y'all believe, believe that? It's really important. That's what's going on here. Verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way. What did God notice about them? He noticed how quickly they changed course. How quickly they change course. How many of you things have changed faster in the United States than you ever thought possible? You know, when I was a kid, I would hear about the immorality that was coming to the country. And I believed the preachers, but I, I thought it would be way down the road. I can't believe what's happened in the last 20 years. But whoever would have thought that there would be an argument about what a guy was and what a girl is. I think it's so funny when these guys win girls' weightlifting contests. 
and the liberals don't have any idea what to do with that. It's hilarious. Y'all with me? Is that funny? Come on. I think that that's funny. I enjoy every bit of it. So God is watching what these people are doing, and he's hearing what they say. So God sees the impatience of the people and the acknowledgement of what they are really trusting. So go back to verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, or and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, look at the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Did Moses bring them up out of the land of Egypt? God did. What were they trusting? They were trusting the man. God saw that. And that's why God tells Moses, they're your people. They're not my people. They're your people. Then he noticed the speed at which they turned away. And, but look at this. I want you to see how Moses proves his meekness. The Bible says that Moses is the meekest man to ever live. What is meekness? It's not considering your own goals. It's not considering you. It's considering what God wants. That's what meekness is. Look at what verse 10 says. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax wax hot against them. This is what God's telling Moses. Moses, leave me alone because I'm going to kill them all. And then he says, and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. You know, the Bible says promotion is from the Lord. Promotion is from the Lord. Here's what God said to Moses. Moses, I'm sick of these people. Can I ask you a question? Do you think those people had been an irritant to Moses? It was like herding cats. It was horrible. They were terrible to Moses. And God says, I'll tell you what, Moses, I'm going to wipe them out and I'm going to start again with you. Moses had the chance to literally be the man. The only one. Now, I got to tell you, that'd be a hard thing for us to pass up, wouldn't it? See, we have this success-oriented age where it's interesting to me. If I, if I walked up to you and started asking you really personal questions, you'd look at me like, what are you doing? But you put it all on Facebook. It's hilarious. So what happens is you meet somebody at church and they ask you a question about something in your personal life. And you kind of get offended. But they read it on Facebook. People are weird. It's so interesting. We want that success. We want that promotion. And what did Moses say? No, God. No. Moses proves his meekness. Then look at the contrast between Aaron and Moses. Verse 11, and Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Look at what it says. Which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. I didn't bring them out. You just said I brought them out. I didn't bring them out, God. You brought them out. Now, can you imagine being brave enough to talk to God that way? That's exactly what Moses is doing. Look at the difference. Aaron is afraid of the people. And so he stands between the people and God, but sides with the people. Moses loves God so much that he loves God's people enough to say, 
Let me take their price. Look at what it says in verse 32. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. You can't pay their price, Moses. You can't pay their price, but I'll tell you what, Jesus could. Jesus could. Moses, the contrast between Aaron and Moses. So here, let me be very self-serving right now in this sermon. Pray for me. I want to I always side with God. If I side with God instead of the people, that will always be better for the people. Is that true? Man, pray for me. Man, my head can be turned so easily. I enjoy the flattery. It would be nice if one of you would say that was a good sermon, Pastor. That would be nice. Man, I love it when people tell me I've done a good job. Everybody wants to do a good job, right? I am for God. If I will do what God wants me to do, that will be good for you. Pray that I will be able to do that. Someone said that the Greek word for compromise is mortgage payment. Let's never let finances control what we believe. Then, not only that, this is such an interesting thing. Moses threw away the Bible to defend God. Moses threw away the Bible. to. He was so mad at the people, and he was so indignant that they would not do what God had said. Moses was offended for God. And look at what happens. Verse 15, And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon tables. But I want to preach about the Bible for a minute right there, but I can't. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, so like they're winning, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it with fire, or burnt it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. What did he do? In defending God, he threw away the Bible. Do you realize how many churches do that? So here's what we have. We have churches that say, come as you are, stay as you were, anything goes. We just, we love you so much, we don't want to tell you anything bad. Right? God's not mad at you. Well, the Bible says God's angry with the wicked every day. If you're not saved, you're wicked. After you get saved, you're wicked. You're just washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? So you got some people that say anything goes. Then you've got some other people that hate the culture so much and they're so angry at the wickedness of the culture that they start making stuff up. They start adding things to the Bible that are not there. In order to defend God, they throw the Bible away and start establishing man made rules. Man, I got to tell you, some of you guys, your lives are a mess. 
And I could really straighten you out if you would allow me to make the rules for your household. It's funny. There's basically two kinds of people. There's some kinds of, some people are here saying, well, that's true. Other people are saying, boy, that's arrogant. I want to ask you to raise your hands to find out which ones, which side of it you're on. How many of you know that if you were allowed to make the rules for some people, their house would be better? How many of you believe that? Seriously. If you don't believe that, you don't know what you're doing. Right? God has given us some basic rules for the home. And if you'll follow those rules, your home will be better than someone whose home does not follow those rules. Are you all with me? But if I start coming into your house and telling you every step of your behavior, I'm no longer your pastor. I'm now your Lord. I'm now your master. And those are the two kinds of churches that we have. We have churches that say anything goes away with all rules. Anything goes. You can do anything you want to do. And what happens is you end up preaching a false Christ. And people are worshiping a false God. But boy, can they sing. On the other hand, you have people that throw away the word of God. They rarely preach the scriptures. It's all about behavior, behavior, behavior. It's always the culture war. It's always the government. It's always they're mad at somebody. Every bit of that is wrong. Are you all with me? Every bit of that is wrong. Let's look back at our text. Moses threw away the Bible to defend God. And the people were still relying on human leadership. The people were still, re- were still relying on it. Look at verse 23. And they said unto me, for they said unto me, this is when Moses asked Aaron, what in the world? For they said unto me, make us gods which shall go before us. Now look at what it says. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. What's going on? They didn't trust God enough to believe that God would take care of Moses. Because they were trusting Moses, they weren't trusting God. One of the biggest problems in the ministry is when people say, that's what we hired you for. Right? You don't trust me, you trust God. And we do the work of the ministry together. See, it's not my job to keep Grace Baptist Church right. It's our job to keep Grace Baptist Church right. Amen? That's what we're supposed to do. All right. Then, not only that, This is pretty interesting. Read verse uh, 24. And I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, uh, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and there came out this calf. Shazam! And when Moses saw that the people were naked, look at this, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. So look, the people had done badly and Aaron had them do worse. And I want you to notice something. Nakedness always accompanies paganism. Nakedness always accompanies idolatry. Isn't that interesting? The Bible is so much better than legalism. So I could stand up here and make a list of what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear. All right, that could be a man-made list. And all of that would be based on what Jim Alter thinks. And I know this will shock you. I really do have some ideas about that. But it's not my job to preach my ideas. Right? 
Don't be naked. How about that? How many think that's a pretty good rule? I mean, you have to be naked at some point and take a bath, that kind of thing. But I mean publicly. What does that do? When, when a, a follower of God reveals nakedness in public, that shames them before their enemies. That shames them. It's interesting how nakedness always accompanies idolatry. Why was God not going to go up with them? Because they weren't God's people, they were Moses' people. Because they were following human leadership rather than God's leadership. Because they didn't believe God enough to worship Him. They wanted to have a God of their own making. And it was literally a God of their own making. And God says, I will not go with you. What did God offer? He offered them the land. He offered them freedom. He offered them an angel to go with them. He offered them an angel to drive out their enemies. He offered them prosperity. But what was he going to withhold? He was going to withhold himself. I want you to see. Look with me at verse 13. Of, verse, of chapter 33. Now, therefore, I pray thee. This is Moses praying to God. Oh, man. I got to look at this first. This is amazing. So look at verse 8. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door. Can you imagine? What is God going to do? The man of God is going to meet with God for us. Moses is going into the tabernacle. That pillar of cloud has come down and surrounded that tabernacle. And the man of every house is standing in the door of that house for the people, just like the Passover, right? And they're watching. And it says, and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses and all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. Men, at some point, you've got to worship God for your family. At some point, your family needs to see you repenting and worshipping before God. They need to see that. So now drop down to verse 13. Here's Moses praying to God. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, this is what we should all pray, show me now thy way that I may know thee. I don't want an angel. I want you. I don't want spiritual power. I want you. I don't want spiritual deliverance. I don't want spiritual prosperity. I don't want any of that. I want you, God. Look at what it says. That I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, here's God answering, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. I got a big amen written right there in my Bible. How many of you are thankful that even though in your Christian life you've wandered, that God has always stayed with you. Praise the Lord for that. But I don't know about you guys. I definitely know there are different stages in my life 
where God's presence is more real in my life than others. How many of you would agree with that? You know what I'm talking about with that. Man, I want our church to experience the presence of God when we come together to worship. I don't want this to be, you know, the Baptist salute. Can't wait to get out of here. Is he ever going to get done? I've got a roast in the oven. Cazadoras, the line's getting longer. Folks, we need to come together and worship God and recognize God's presence. How many of you are thankful that he's here? I want you to think about something. That verse, how many of you know this verse? Where two or three are gathered in my name, what's it say? There will I be in the midst of them. You all know that verse? You know what the context of that verse is? Church discipline. Church discipline. Listen to what I just said. Church discipline. You see, how many of you recognize now why this isn't a church a message for visitors? See, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to be holy. If we want to be the church that God wants us to be and experience the genuine presence and reality of his power in this place, we have to be holy people. This can't be a gym altar, pastor-led church. This has to be a God-led church. Man, I wish... No, no, I don't. Actually, I was about to say, I wish that I could be the spiritual leader of this church. And then I realized, man, there's a whole bunch of you that are more spiritual than me. I'm glad you guys are here. It's really important that we understand that a church is not a pastor. A church is not a building. A church is all of us together. And if we want to recognize the presence of God in this place, it's not based on our financial prosperity. It's not based on our beautiful facility. It's not based on the quality of our music or the quality of the leadership in preaching. It's based on the presence of God. It's based on the holiness of God's people and their desire to truly worship him. Then look at this with me. Verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Verse 15, and he said unto him, this is Moses. Moses saying this to God, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. You know what we need to say to God? God, if you're not with us, burn the building down. God, if you're not with us, shut it down. Make it all go away. Because none of this matters if Christ isn't here. It's, all, it's not about you and me. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we need. It's about him. And if we focus on him, he'll give us everything we need. We have to keep things in the right order. Amen? Now, write this down. I want you to think about this. The blessings of God without the presence of God is the curse of God. The blessing of God without the presence of God, that's the curse of God. God, don't give us the land. God, don't, don't deliver us from our enemies. God, don't give us prosperity. God, don't give us freedom. Give us slavery. Give us whatever it takes to be with us. Because you are more important than liberty. You are more important than land. You are more important than prosperity. You're more important than food. You're more important than any of that. Folks, that's the attitude that we must have for God to genuinely be with us. But man, we get so distracted. And I want you to think about this and I'm done. I mentioned this in Sunday school last week. 
my own spiritual walk. It's been difficult this last year. You know, Pastor Nathan is in Texas now, and he's helped me with a bunch of graphics and things. I still talk to him every week. But the amount of work has gone up a lot for me because Pastor Nathan's not here. And then we have the church building. And so I'm overseeing every detail of all the things that are going on, and it's not done. I'm still doing it. Let me tell you what's happened. My walk with the Lord has suffered during that time because I'm all consumed with stuff. And it's not on purpose. You know, it's just the stuff has to be done. You got to have a parking lot. You got to have signs so people know where to go. You got to have air conditioning that works. You got to have heat. You got to have lights. You got every bit of that. That's what I'm doing right now. Now, I'm not griping. That's my job. Okay. I'm not complaining about that at all. What I'm telling you is while all that's going on, all the responsibilities of the pastor are still there. And then my, my job is to give myself to the word of God and prayer, to the ministry of the word. That's my job, but there's not enough hours in the day to do it all. That's where I am. And I don't want the preaching to suffer. I don't want the communication of the word of God to suffer because I'm painting walls and I don't paint, but picking paint. But that's what's happened. And you know what I realized? The thing that's keeping me from God is the blessing of God. You see, all of this, all of this need for building, all of this growth, the new people that are coming, counseling that I need to do, the ministry that I need to do, that's all evidence of God's blessing. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So all of this good stuff that's happening, it's the gift of God. Do you all agree with me on that? And what I found in my life, and I've tried to change it since I realized it a few weeks ago, I have allowed the blessings of God to get in the way of my worship for God. And you know what I know? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. That means if that's the problem that I have, I'll bet you somebody else has that same problem. How many of you know that you're blessed of God? Would you raise your hand? You know that you're blessed of God. I wonder what your relationship with God is like. Man, we get so busy. This time of year, you've got to mow your grass three times a week, but it's raining six days a week. There's all that kind of stuff. And I don't know about you guys, that stuff weighs on me. Got all this stuff to do. There's graduations to go to. Kids are finishing up. There's all kinds of things that have to be done. But, but children are inherited from the Lord. Children are a blessing of God. I know that this is going to shock you. We like you guys. We're glad you're here. But man, are you a bunch of work. And here's what happens moms, you get so busy caring for the kids that you forget about the God that gave them to you. Dads, you got to earn money for all this stuff. Kids are expensive, man. They are expensive, and you got to have money for that. And you've got the mortgage, and then the pastor comes and says, we, get, we need money for the building, and you believe that it's your responsibility to help, and you're trying to earn this money. And you get so busy earning money, which is the blessing of God, that you forget about the God that's provided you the blessing. And what we need to recognize is the blessing of God without the presence of God is the curse of God. And the United States is suffering under the curse 
of wealth under the curse of prosperity. Now, let me tell you something. I don't want to be poor. I have been poor. I don't want to be poor again. I mean, there were days when I was a kid where there was no food in the house. None. I don't want that to happen again. Now, obviously, it wouldn't hurt me for a while. But it's really important that we understand this. It is possible to have prosperity and godliness. But the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Church at Sardis, or the church at Smyrna, Jesus said to them, I know your poverty, but thou art rich. To the church at Laodicea, because thou sayest thou art rich and increased with goods, but knowest not that thou art wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And I salve that thou mayest see. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, I will come in unto him and sup with him. And he with me. How many of you want to have that relationship with Jesus? That's the relationship that you want to have. Folks, remember, the blessing of God without the presence of God is the curse of God. God's blessing us here. There's no doubt about it that God is blessing us here. So here, I'll just ask you a couple of questions and I'm done. Are you complacent? Are you satisfied? Are you bored in your Christianity? Do you feel like you ought to have more? What about your passion for souls? See, if we really recognize the great love of God and the awfulness of sin, we would recognize that then we would understand that our friends need to hear about Jesus. Do you care? What about your passion? What about your passion and worship? When we're singing to the Lord, is your mind somewhere else? Remember, they were singing so loud that Joshua thought there was a battle going on, but they were singing to a false god. We come to church worshiping the true God. We sing, God, you're so good. How's your passion? Now, look, my job is not to make you feel bad. My job is to point us to Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when I focus on this stuff, when I started realizing that the blessing of God had gotten between me and God, that's when I said to myself, Jim, something's got to change. I wonder if anybody's with me on that. I wonder if any of you would say, Pastor, I've gotten so busy in life that I don't, I, I don't even recognize what God wants me to do anymore. We need to put God back in his right place. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to show us his way, and we'll know him. Isn't that what Moses prayed in chapter 33? Well, I think we could learn some stuff from Moses. I think we could. We need to stand with God before the people. We can't throw away the word of God to defend God. And the blessing of God without the presence of God is the curse of God. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we don't deserve anything that you have given us. You have given us freedom. You've given us prosperity. You've removed the genuine obstacles from our lives.